This is the Huddle.com LifeCast. We're talking to inspired and insightful people who have faced life's greatest challenges and broken through. Welcome, everyone, to the Huddle.com Livecast. I'm your host, Mark Stolo. I'm joined today by David Frank Gomes. David is a personal development coach and mindfulness teacher. He's also among our network of Huddle pros, which means that he supports our members in the Huddle community. And he's also available for one-to-one coaching. And he's also hosting group sessions on Huddle. I'm going to tell you a bit about David's session later on in the Huddle Livecast. David? Welcome to the Huddle Lifecast. Well, I'm glad to be here. This is exciting. I'm just trying to get comfortable because Dolce is sitting on the chair with me and she's trying to muscle me out. (laughs) David is being muscled out by his very small dog, Dolce. And worst comes to worst, we'll just, we'll talk to Dolce. Yeah, she's probably more interesting than I am. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've been looking forward to this conversation Um, I look forward to all my conversations with David and I feel like part of my, my job in life right now is to let the world know about David. Um, cause you're going to be glad that you met David. Um, one of the things that you like to say is, um, it's a little bit contrary. It's contrarian. I think you're a natural contrarian, which is a good thing. And I, I love contrarians, but you like to say the future is the same. What once was will always be. Whereas a lot of people are talking about what they're planning and changing for the future, you talk about kind of certain immutable principles that, you know, govern our our existence. I want to kind of maybe try to stay in that pocket and talk about and peel open that idea with you a little bit in this live cast. Give people a sense of what you mean by that when you say the future is the same. Yeah, well, you know, in the personal development space, we're always looking for high-impact ideas, principles. We're looking for the principles, uh, which are, you know, we live in a, an overwhelming world of information and rules and regulations. and um, But underneath it are these universal, what I would say, principles they, they're just things that work. They've always worked. They worked before the pandemic. They'll work during a pandemic. They'll work after the pandemic. And so that's, for me, what I'm really interested in is what what's going to be the same in 10 years, not what's going to be different. And I think what's going to be the same is that people are going to want to um, live lives that feel meaningful. They're going to want to feel empowered. They're going to want to live in communities that feel safe. Uh, they're going to want to reach cherished goals and solve personal challenges. And so some of these things don't, don't change. And mindfulness, uh, meditation, um, mentorship, these are very, they're ancient teachings that are as relevant today as they were 3,500 years ago. You know, I study the particular 
um, form of meditation that I study is it's thousands of years old. Mm. Um, and so I'm really interested in principles. What are the principles behind how people succeed, how they uh, reach a level of contentment, of happiness, and how they feel empowered? Sorry, I do have to leave to let the dog out. <laughs> Good news is, is that David decided to join the LifeCast wearing pants. Uh, yeah, we all I got my shorts on. I'm going for a run after this. We always say, don't come to a Zoom meeting room without pants on. Um, yeah, that's interesting. You talk. I mean, I, sometimes I guess that's sometimes described as like the perennial philosophy. Aldous Huxley wrote a great book called The Perennial Philosophy. People like Joseph Campbell in the world of like mythology and myth talk about you know jung talked about archetypes these constants these universals they're not so much absolutes but universal principles that underline the current current of our lives it's interesting that you talk about they're contextualists right they're kind of like not they're unmoving by these mutable events i mean context to an extent matters right so if you take you know you take someone and raise them in a specific context um, or you look, think about the context of a pandemic. I mean, these move us, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're like, they're wins to, but I think what you're getting at is not that you're oblivious to the context. You know, we're all being influenced to some extent by our environments. The pandemic is impacting us obviously differently, but there is a level of impact. But about the rootedness that we feel in some of those principles, those grounding principles, is that is that a fair analogy? Like the winds might change direction, but the roots run deep when you're anchored in, in principles that are more everlasting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, uh, I, I agree that we could say, you know, someone said to me that the pandemic is a storm, we're all in, but we have, we're all in different ships. So I, what I'm, I'm not saying that there's some universal blanket to put on everyone, but the pandemic, if you want to look at universal principles, is a time of great uncertainty. It's a world teaching. It's teaching the entire world, but it's a time of uncertainty. So this is nothing new. <laughs> uncertainty is nothing new. Ambiguity is nothing new. So my question is, you know, if we really look, closely we can see that we are living in a very ambiguous world we have very little control if you actually think about it so the next question logically becomes what are we going to do with this how are we going to live in this ambiguous place so the perennial philosophy says focus on what you can control focus on what you care about focus on what's life-giving to you be of service now, whatever boat you're in, these are valuable tools. So if people just relentlessly focused on what was in their control, they would find their level of anxiety, many of the symptoms they're suffering from this thing, and we're all suffering it. Uh, I feel as anxious as the next person. I wake mm -hmm. up someday, I feel very anxious. But I go back to my central practices. And... Mm -hmm. This is when you need them. You need them in times of uncertainty, right? Yeah. No, I like and this. Be a big shot when they have enough money in the bank. Their relationships are fine. Their health is great. 
They have a job. They have a place to live. Anyone can have a vision then. Yeah. But, and and even yeah. for a lot of those people, I mean, they live in a, you know, they might be living with emotional ambiguity, uh, mental ambiguity. This is, you know, there's, 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 you know, no one is, there's so one of our pros this morning posted on Huddle, and, you know, a quote from, from the Buddhist teachings about this idea that pain is inevitable, but suffering isn't in the sense that, of course, we're all going to deal with a level of anguish in our lives. How we relate to that experience is, is, is where we either suffer endlessly or we find a release from that suffering. You and I talk a lot about, um, I like how you talk about what we're in control of and what we're not in control of. And there's always going to be inner and outer forces that induce a feeling of tension, anxiety, uh, pain, always. You know, that's part of the perennial truth. This is the paradox of being, you know, in a human body is that we're going, we're going to experience, you know, those, those, those triggers. Um, but we don't necessarily have to become lost in them. And, mm-hmm. and, and how we relate to those is so particularly important to our transformation. Can we talk a bit about that and unpack that idea a little bit? I've we've there's been moments in other live casts where we've kind of superficially talked about that, but I really want to unpack that. The difference between like someone coming, like we see this on Huddle all the time, is someone comes to Huddle and like, please end my depression. Mm-hmm. Take my depression away. Why is that so <laughs> why is that so impossible? <laughs> why is the answer to that I can't, but what comes after the I can't but so that people understand better living through anxiety, depression, sadness, tension, career strife, whatever it is that they're dealing with that's a pain point for them? Wow, you ask hard questions. Yeah, we don't mess around on the life cast. <laughs> well, you know, there, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of pieces in that question, but I, I would say that... Um, The, the overarching, you know, 35,000 foot view is that I, I often don't think people are asking big enough questions. Um, there's a lot of conflict for me in the personal development space because I don't really think it's about making a plastic perfect life, right? Um, we come into this, it's a mystery. We live in this mystery and then we, we go away to some other mystery. And we spend the whole time we're down here, you know, like earning a bit of money and doing all these things as if this is our home. But really, it isn't our home. We're temporary visitors here and everything is a rental. So what we are is renters and we're just trying to leave the place in good shape for the next renter. So that's the first thing is that you, 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 know, you have to have some sort of philosophical view of, of who you are in this mystery. I'm not talking about religion, but. You know, and I think the second thing is that um, we have to get friendlier with the suffering that exists in this world, you know, with our pain. So in the wisdom traditions, we do something that's quite different than what we've been taught. We don't push our negative emotions away. We don't push our fear away. We try and become friendly with it. We try and take care of our pain. 
And in doing that, we transform it, which means we have to have a different relationship to the events that are happening in our lives. And, you know, again, people are bombarded. There's so much information out there these days that people are bewildered and they've lost track of these kind of universal ideas. I mean, this is the reason I combine mindfulness with coaching. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness is the inner peace. It's the being peace, the mind peace. Um, so yeah, we have, you, I think oh, it's part of our, it's a bit of part of our anti-culture, you know, we have uh, anti-aging, anti-pain, uh, anti, anti-sadness, um, everything that's ugly is you know judged to be wrong um we have this very very backward maladaptive idea that anything that reeks of anything other than some fabricated idea of happiness that typically is being shaped by someone else's vision and typically an advertiser in a room somewhere or maybe a lot of them that somehow we're dysfunctional, we're inappropriate, we're inadequate, or we're insecure. I'm not suggesting that mental health issues don't exist. They do. People deal with depression. You know, there, there are many factors that influence how we feel and think. But when that is always juxtaposed against, to your point, this plastic, this perfect plastic life, you will always feel inadequate. Yeah. You will never, ever get to the top of that mountain, so to speak, A, because it's a fiction, so you're climbing a mountain that doesn't exist. You know, you are not on a quest. You know, you're not in an authentic quest. You're on someone else's quest. Um, and you're going to find when you get to the peak, what all of a sudden there's like another peak or maybe there's just a valley. You know, there's just, there's just mountain a end. Yeah, it's a range, really. It's a range. It's a mountain range. It's not, it's an, a never ending process. And what you take in with you in that process, those immutable principles, truths, the, the tools that are, you know, not subject to space and time and all the other contingencies you attach to them will serve you very, very profoundly on that journey. And I think that's where, you know, I sense that you're trying to support the people that you're working with in your client work and on Huddle in terms of how you help them cultivate the tools that they already have to unleash the tools that they have to become more conscious, more aware, more mindful of being with their experience. Yeah. And it's, you know, what you said earlier, it's very interesting, you know, because marketing, advertising, this sort of collective world out there is its job is to create disconnection within us. Why? Because disconnected people consume things. If you are disconnected, it's the root of all addiction. And we're mostly addicted to the way we think. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. It's not right. There's too much. I need less. So this is why this consumerism has gone on because disconnection leads to consumption. And now you've got this global pause. Nobody can consume. Everything gets quiet. Now, for some people, this is an amazing opportunity. <laughs> for other people, this is like their world collapsing. And so what do you do when things collapse? 
Well, you either rebuild them exactly the way they were before and double down on it, or you go, hey, I have an opportunity to rebuild this in a completely new way. So I, I do think that we are, we have been given an interesting opportunity, albeit a very painful one, to decide what we want our lives to mean and then how we want to push our values out into the world. So the being piece you could say is your values. What do you care about? What's life giving to you? What matters to you? And then the doing piece, the final piece is how do I want to reflect that in the world? Yeah. And so that's kind of what I'm interested in. I, I'm not suggesting that people should all become, you know, monastics and live in caves. I think you can find the right balance between living a life that is deeply meaningful, having the resources to deal with the roller coaster, and also go out in the world and do some interesting things. You know, uh, I have. I've, you know, there's been some things I wanted to do, and I've gone out and I've done them. But I think, you know, I, I have a mantra that I kind of live by, which is that everything is perfect as it is, and there's plenty of room for improvement. <laughs> and, you know, everything is perfect as it is. This is mindfulness in action. It doesn't mean I'm Pollyanna-ish. It means that in this present moment, if I can live with a little bit less resistance, then I'm in a much more empowered state to take the next step and to take it cleanly and clearly because all I need to do is take the next step and I just take the next one and the next one and all of a sudden I'm in some future which is now but it's a future based on all these beautiful steps and is there room for improvement absolutely yeah you know I think the the response to the fear experience you know let's just call the pandemic fear I mean it's it's a bundle of fear there's a reality attached to it, obviously. I'm not trying to minimize its impact. Lots of people have died as a result of the pandemic. That's a very real truth. Um, but for everyone else, there's fear. Um, what do you do with that? Um, how do you live, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's your own personal pandemic, whether it's the same repeating thoughts that churn in your brain about how you're not good enough, how you won't succeed, how you possibly couldn't do that, whatever fear monster is dominating your existence, that's where your work lies. You know, the aversion, the avoidance tendency is the exact recipe for being stuck. And I know that that's a very complicated paradox for people to accept, right? Because again, when you're in a curative mindset, when you live in a curative culture and everything can be gotten rid of, everything can be, you know, I've got a million different dopes for you to take to fix this problem. Or I've got the next best whatchamacallit that's going to take away your problem. The The message that we send to people is your fear is inadequate and you are inadequate. And until you fix this fear, you will not be fixed. And it's a different approach to say, actually, you got to go in. You really got to go in to get out. You know, like that's that's that classic metaphor, you know, you got to go into the cave. That's where your that's where the truth is. What what's what's the what's the what's that process like for you? You talk about mindfulness. Why is that something that you're such 
such a strong advocate for as as a tuning in experience? Why is it so important? Well, I think it's part of, um, you know, I can only speak personally right now for me, but it's part of my my spiritual ecosystem. So it's a, it's a, it's not a technique for me. It's a way of life. It's a teaching. Um, but it's, I consider it to be one of the most highly effective principles, ideas that I've ever come across. Hmm. Um, because, you know, there's a saying in the wisdom traditions that whatever the mind rests upon, it becomes. So, you know, and this is true. Think about it. I mean, if you sit around and watch Netflix for 12 hours and you watch some, you know, binge some horror show on Netflix, your mind becomes that, like you become consumed by that. Our consumer world is, is, is built on that. It's built on this idea of attention, like getting your mind to some sort of attention place. Mm. So mindfulness is just about lowering the level of resistance to what's happening. And if you really practice it, you see how valuable it is. I remember uh, Byron Katie saying something, you know, that um, how do you know something's supposed to have happened to you? Like, you know, somebody gets into a car crash and they're like, this shouldn't have happened to me. And her question was, how do you know that you were supposed to get into that car crash? And they're like, what? And she's like, because you got into it, because you had it. Like, that's how you know. <laughs> so, you know, 99.9% of everything that is bothering us is our resistance to what is actually occurring. Mm -hmm. And so everybody, you, me, and everybody you know is going to have an event in their lives that, isn't, that is not going to be what they want. They're going to lose a job, get a divorce, get cancer, uh, you name it. And how are they going to react to it? Oh, this shouldn't have happened to me. And these kind of things, um, which is how we tend to deal with, uh, let's call it adversity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we pit uh, ourselves against ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. Like we, be, we literally like, all right, this is a very common expression, like symbolically represented often. You see this particularly in comic books where the hero, you know, there's the anti-hero to the hero, right? But I think it's very appropriate and symbolic for most people's experience where they become their own worst enemy. They almost have like an alter ego and they're in this very awkward conversation, tug of war. Oh, this is who you are, but this is who you shouldn't be. And this is what you should become. And, and you're living with this kind of constant moral prescription. And you're, again, there's this constant persistence of I'm inadequate, I'm inadequate, I'm inadequate. And only when I get to that next moment then I'll be adequate again. And of course, the second you get there, second you buy that pair of shoes, boy, you're a craving what's next. Like, what's next on my agenda for feeling adequate again? Yeah, and I think in the personal development, at least the work I do, you know, I create an ecosystem for people so they can actually start to look at this stuff for real. Because a lot of times it's just floating around in our heads. It's not really real. It's just this sort of, habitual thought pattern, right? Like people are just habitually thinking the same thought patterns. So, um, 
And when you step out of that for a moment and look clearly at it, you realize that, hey, if you want to buy a new BMW, I'm all for it. You love cars, then we should accomplish that. That's an external. That's great. But at least bring the awareness to realize that a few months after you've bought that car, the same feeling will arise. Because you know what? There'll be a new one. And yours won't be so new. I mean, that's just the way of the world. But what if you could just enjoy the car for what it was and, you know, so it's not the, it's not the, the actual having of the thing. It's, it's all happening in your mind. And so this is why mindfulness is valuable because it's a way of living skillfully. That's what they call it in the wisdom tradition, skillful living. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It means that you become okay with how things are. And in that okayness, that friendlierness with life, then you can step off and decide who you want to be and where you want to go. Yeah. And, you know, I think we are living in times of too much information and people have mistaken information and knowledge as somehow valuable. But I think we're living in a time where curation is important. There's too much, so we have to decide, like, what are the important and high-impact ideas that will actually really make a difference to the people I love, to myself, that will create more happiness, more contentment or health? Um, and that is what I relentlessly focus on. So I, I can clear all that stuff out. So for me, I have some very basic practices. Yeah, and, and I also... I think also think testing those ideas through like experiential learning. And I think that's probably why you're so attuned to mindfulness because it's not a concept. It's a practice. It's a way of being in the world. So you can read about mindfulness. You can watch a video on mindfulness. There's innumerable quotes about mindfulness, but it's a practice and it's only meaningful as a practice. In fact, if you're having an idea about mindfulness, it's just an idea in the world of mindfulness, right? If your idea is, I'm going to practice mindfulness and I'll be a better person, guess what? That's just another idea in the practice of mindfulness. You know, that's yeah. that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, life is 1% theory and 99% practice. Yeah. And in the coaching space, you have the choice to decide what do you want to practice. It's very interesting. Let's say you come to me and you're having this conflict with someone, you know, and say, like, what, what should I do? Which is your depression question. What should I do? Like, what's the easy answer to fix this immediately? And occasionally there is an easy answer, like get out of that situation. But most of the time, there's multiple potential answers and so one great technique is you just decide what do you want to practice so maybe in this conflict you decide you know what i really want to practice empathy because that's something i've realized i need to do and then we design a strategy around that and you go and do it and come back or maybe you're like you know what it's boundaries for me i've realized this i've got to have boundaries and it's like great let's practice that mm -hmm. or you know x let's practice that so it's not this fixed system. It's a system of deciding what you want to practice. And the more you practice, the more you experience. It's experiential. Yeah. My work is all experiential. It's not theory. Yeah. It's about having the experience, coming back with the awareness and saying, 
here's what happened. What was that like for you? And then, you know, that's a way to really build what I would call sustainable change. And it actually does happen quite fast. You can literally transform your life in a year, which may seem like a long time, but, you know, we're practically halfway through and all we've been doing is sitting on the couch. So, I mean, (laughs) it's moving pretty fast. Sure. Yeah. No, I think it's time well spent. I would also say it's, Learn to ask great questions. You know, learn to ask great. So you see, sometimes people are in a process of trying. They're asking questions, and you can see that the question is misleading them. You know, it's taking them to places because the question isn't framed in a way that's that's freeing them. It's it's a question that's predicated on an old idea, and it only has an old answer. So if you find yourself asking questions and then answering them and ending up in the same place, it's because the question wasn't right. You know, that's, yeah. that, that I think is a big part of the process. And mindfulness, yeah. I think to your point, one of, the big, one of the big gains from mindfulness is, the, is that witnessing. It's the ability to be present with mind without being enraptured by mind. And it actually cultivates a disposition of being able to ask better questions because you're not so entrenched in your point of view when you're asking those questions. And that's very liberating just to be framing things in a different kind of way without being stuck in, oh, that question again, you know? No, it's like maybe it's a different kind of question. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, we our lives... Our lives unfold according to the questions that we're habitually asking ourselves. Um, And uh, awareness, practice, meditation, mindfulness, why they're actually terrifying if you start to practice them is you actually start to get to know your own mind. And in the beginning, it can be, you know, it can be disconcerting. But we live in a world where we are focused completely externally. Everything is external. We are convinced that whatever we are seeking, it is somewhere outside of us. And it's, I, I, I can't find it, but when I do find it, and then you find it, and you realize, ah, oh, this isn't quite right, and then you double down. And so with every goal that anyone has, any desire, there's the external goal, I want the car, but there's an internal goal too, what I call a spiritual goal. There's something inside of you, and that's actually what you're seeking. But you, you mistake it for the BMW. Right. And so you get the BMW, and then you realize, no, oh, it's, not, it's not quite what I wanted. I, I think I actually wanted a two-door convertible. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then the whole thing starts again. Yeah, yeah, I call it so like symbolically. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you're living through, you know, the Hindus say you mistake the pointing finger for the moon. Um, yeah. You know, when you're like, where's the moon? And someone points at it and you just stuck on their finger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, it's very, it's a powerful pull to the, the external world. So I think we have to find a balance. And I, I do believe that, there's never been a more important time for people to kind of wake up and do some deep work on themselves. The world needs us all. It needs every one of us. And so, you know, I think huddle is a place where people are coming because they're, 
they want to start to see the real truth, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so those are the kind of folks that I, I work with. You know, they're, they're, they're tired of it. They know there's something else and they want to find it. And guess what? It's in them. And once they start to connect with it, then everything in the outside world starts to actually make a little more sense. Even some of the stuff that isn't so, you know, friendly. So right. um, like a pandemic, which is, a, you know, is a, a, there's so many pandemics in Western culture. Yeah. No, I think you're, yeah, you're right that we're really focused on how huddle is a, a catalyst to, you know, people who come to huddle and they think that we have the answer. We don't. We're, we're simply there to act as a catalyst to introduce you to people who support you on that journey, who can help ask, help you shape and ask questions that are new in your life. And like, you know, more of a flashlight experience, but the journey is always yours. And, and you can, and you can journey in good company. Like to, I don't, you know, this, you don't have to walk through the world alone. So I think on Huddle, it's about how you journey in good company with people like David. On June 22nd, you're going to be hosting a group session called Mindfulness, Turn Your Noise into a Symphony. Give people a sense of what you're going to be doing in that time, that group time. And so for people who are interested who want to register and, and people who want to register for that session can join us on huddle.com and become a member and then explore this group session that David's going to be giving. So what can people expect in that group, David? We're going to be meditating for 12 hours straight <laughs> without a bathroom break. No just, bathroom breaks. Okay. Got it. Check. Uh, no, I, I, you know, I just want to have, um, I just want to have a sort of a conversation with people about some basic principles of mindfulness. Um, I want to do a little meditation with people so they can get a sense of what it's like to meditate together. It's super important. Um, when you're together in a group and you're practicing, uh, you strengthen each other. So I think if you're, if you're curious about mindfulness and you don't really know much about it, or even if you're practicing it, it's just an opportunity to get together, to discuss it, to practice it a little bit. Um, I'll answer questions um, and give a few basic techniques that I use that I think are super simple and very effective, uh, you know, that you can literally implement today, you know, right. after the class. Um, it's these little tiny practices. If you just even took one little tiny practice and you did it for a month, and then came back and said, here's what I'd notice. I practically guarantee that you would be able to say, something shifted in me. Mm -hmm. um, so I often find, you know, and this will be new for me because I teach mindfulness in quite a different way. I teach it in a one-on-one -on -one way with my clients. So it's a very, what I call real world mindfulness. So, but um, that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I hope it somehow. No, it makes perfect sense. I think it's um, it's an amazing occasion to discover new things about you, to just get to know David. It's been a, a blessing in my life to get to know David. So I'm, I'm happy to be the conduit through which others get to know David as well and through the LifeCast and through the Huddle community. David, thank you for everything that you've shared today. Thanks for everything that you are and embodying you know, the truth that you're trying to 
support others in discovering in their own lives? It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversations. I always find them very, uh, well, I find a good conversation life-giving, you know, it energizes me. Totally. Next time I might interview Dolce, uh, you know, we might ask you to step out of the room, but that's. She's, she's pretty particular though. I, I have okay. to, she, she's sort of, she's a, a lister. So I, I'm not sure that you, you would have to really come up with some sort of raw bone deal for her. She, <laughs> she right. I'd have to be like Joe Rogan to get her on the show. You'd have to yeah. be Joe Rogan. She's going to want a contract. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you're this cute i mean come on i mean you're worth it look at this that right there that's that's our that's our spot for the show and i gotta tell you something twice yesterday like i the pandemic has turned me into a runner again so i Mm. bought my running shoes she senses the moment i'm ready to go out for a run she hides under the bed now this is an italian greyhound she can run about 30 miles an hour right but she's really lazy, so I have to. I have to like really try and focus my mind so that she doesn't think that I'm getting ready for a run, and then capture her to take her out. When she's out, she loves it. It's really weird. I love it. Amazing. So she's already thinking that she's going to go for a run. Okay, there you go. It was a pleasure, Mark, Thank as you. always. You can stay connected and you continue learning with David on Huddle.com. You can join us on Huddle. His handle on Huddle is at dfg for those that are new to huddle huddle is a place to meet amazing people who are sharing wisdom finding support and becoming the best versions of themselves this has been the huddle.com lifecast i want to thank you for tuning in and thank you for turning on to your lives 